Please join me in welcoming the head of community for GitPod, Pauline Narvis. Pauline, thank you for joining me. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So, Pauline, we were talking previously about having some energy levels before joining the show. And then I have to tell you, this is we're taking round two because the lag of Zoom was killing us. And your energy has definitely peaked way up. And it's able to keep up with your energy. This is awesome. I really appreciate you joining. I'm so excited, honestly. And yeah, I mean, we were talking about this in the first take, but I feel even better this time around. So hopefully this will work. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't, we'll two, take three, four, whatever. We will do as many of takes as it does to get this right. Today, we're talking about the head of the community. We're talking about digital nomad, but also who is Pauline? And speaking of that, Pauline, how did you get into tech? Uh, I absolutely love this question. And I feel like I can go through several different like key stories with you, uh, but I'll try and keep it concise. Um, so I got into tech, like my earliest memory of even just a bit of interest in tech was actually when I was eight years old and my dad let me on the family computer uh, that was connected to the internet and I um, ended up playing a game there actually um, and it was like an online game where you would move around and you do different quests and things and that actually it's a, this is a different side note but it actually is the reason I really liked playing games and I was a competitive gamer at one point but that's a different story oh we're um, getting to the competitor <laughs> gamer part don't you worry we've got that as a whole topic and it's that is a whole topic yeah definitely but yeah I really like playing this game and then as, as I played it some more I was like wow there's like things I would love to add to this game but there just isn't a opportunity to and I don't know how to even make a game where do I even start uh, because the game was like hosted online um, I was like oh the first step is to like build one of these things which was a website and so I went down this rabbit hole of trying to understand and learn how to build a website and at the time we didn't have any of this fancy like react and Next.js and all of these javascript frameworks to just build a simple website it was genuinely just html css and a bit of javascript and so i taught myself how, how to do that with trial and error and um i eventually ended up building my first website and it sort of became like an addiction that i really enjoyed uh, rebuilding my website again and again with different layouts and seeing where uh, the different components and where I could style them and what would make sense. Um, and at the time as well, because I had all of these layout ideas for my website, um, I would have like, I ended up having at one point like several websites that were specific to a certain topic. For example, High School Musical was one of my favorite films growing up. And that is because um, I really, I'm still a fan, but I really loved uh, Vanessa Hudgens, who is a Filipina. And I, at the time when I was growing up, I grew up in the UK. I didn't really see many like Filipinas on TV. So when I saw her, I was like, oh my God, she's just like me. Um, so, so yeah, I really, really liked her. So I started creating like a website that revolved around High School Musical and all of the actors in it. And so I had that as one of my websites. So you were a also... super fan. 
yes yes you know how like these days you have people on twitter that create like fan accounts for like taylor swift or something I, that was me but i was like the original generation that had like websites for for them um so yeah really liked uh, i really liked um that and i was building all these different websites one of the websites i built actually was uh my own personal like blog and at the time like years ago blogging is completely different to what blogging is now i actually refer to the blogging i did as like the og blogging which was uh, honestly it was honestly just like online journaling and back then people were just writing their journal entries online and that's what i did um and because i was so young i would just write stupid like <laughs> blog posts that were like oh today i did this and i I don't know, hug the tree today or something like that. It was just really silly with no actual value, but um, it was actually something I'm really proud of doing uh, early on because then years later I continued the blogging habit and obviously my content has like sort of like grown with me and um, if you go on my blog now pauline.com which is spelled p-a-w-l-e-a-n.com I've written for for a couple of years now just like experiences that I've been um, I've, that I've gone through and it's taken it's I, I actually takes you all the way from the, my journey at university although and sorry, my first year at university, all the way until I graduate, all the way into my first tech job, all the way into my second tech job, and then my third one that I'm in now. So it's like a really good snapshot of like my life and the key events. Um, but yeah, so that's how I started getting into tech in to, to begin with. Like I was building all these different websites. And then when I got to school, um, when I was picking my subjects, I studied uh, for like they call it in the UK GCSEs um, and for GCSEs I picked uh, computing as one of my um, subjects which is now like computer science or it wasn't it's not IT so IT was very different to computing computing was more like programming and uh, I built like a visual studio um, <laughs> like recipe uh, I, I did like those same things. Software. Yeah, that, yeah. That is well, definitely something that's totally different from before, like now and yes. versus before. I actually did Visual Studio and I built a program. We code, we did all the back end. And yes. now it's like IT, it's like, yeah, yeah, you don't have to do that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I remember using um the software, the software, I don't even remember what it was called. I guess it was just v Visual B. Uh, it was uh, V-Basic, yep. Yeah. V-Basic, yes, that's yep. it. Oh my God, flashback. I just, I have the UI in my head right now. Uh, but... <laughs> how how weird, so old and uh, I guess 2D the UI was. It yes. Was, you look at it now and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe we actually use that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was really proud of my project that I built on there. I built like a recipe app. And it was like, it had all of my favorite recipes and you can add your own as from a chef's point of view, but you can also have a point of view as a customer so you can see the menu. I don't know. I just was really proud of it. I, was I like, built oh a my casino God, I built wheel. <laughs> <laughs> like a randomized casino <laughs> wheel for my, mine was just Mine was just the recipe app thing. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I really like that. Um, and I did that um, in my, in my uh, course. But unfortunately, when I was in the next stage, of my um like education it was a levels and as part of that you could only pick three subjects and at the time when i was in 
computing, uh, I was actually heavily discouraged by my classmates who kept telling me that you're not supposed to be here. They used to make like jokes saying like you're supposed to be in textiles. And I don't know if textiles is the same thing over there. In America, oh, but it's like, yeah. Actually, like sewing and did, stuff did you smack that person i mean <laughs> no i didn't i wasn't as confident i was quite like insecure back then so i just oh. sort of was like i was like okay i were i'm not supposed to be here but i did really well in that class clearly like i built a really good project and then i also like did the exams like it was it was really fun i really liked computer things um yeah. but then uh but then yeah so by the time i got to a levels i actually dropped anything to do with tech and i went down the route of um bio uh like biology chemistry and sociology uh, which i don't regret because those three subjects were really great and uh, biology and chemistry specifically helped me get into university where i then studied biomedical sciences but on the side i kept up my interest towards tech and towards like um yeah building websites so i continued building websites i continued blogging like online just by myself and it was it was fun uh it was really uh really fun and then when i got to um university and my parents were like oh you can become a doctor after you uh do this degree because there's an option to go from biomed to postgraduate medicine and that was the route i was going to take that is what i had my eyes on um but then i finished my first year at university and i said to myself i can't do this <laughs> and that was the moment i was like I, I know that there's something else out there for me, but this, like the medical field is not for me. I, I, I know it's not for me. And so luckily at university, you're, uh, I was exposed to a lot of um, different people and different experiences and different ideas. And at the time I remember, I remember like stepping back and thinking, what is it that I actually want to do? I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want any external people telling me you should be doing this, you should be doing that. What do I want to do? And it always came back to just doing creative things online. And I really, like I said, I enjoyed blogging. I enjoyed um, creating like content. And also I enjoyed um, um, making websites and being technical and coding. I really enjoyed coding. Um, and around the same time, it was so weird. I remember I, f I got back home from uh, a university uh, class and I was just sat on a sofa and I genuinely was staring at the ceiling and I said, I can't do this. I'm going to drop out. And I, I kept, I convinced myself I'm going to drop out of university because I don't, I hate my degree and I don't see it going anywhere. And then I remember around the same time, I got a ping on my phone and it was a email from the Department of Computer Science uh, that advertised to every student in the university. And it said, um, join, join us for a code, women's only coding group. Uh, coding class and I remember I was reading it and it was going through like front-end technologies like html css javascript but it also had something called git and at the time I didn't even use git because I, I'd been like uploading files through ftp and updating <laughs> Updating oh, my password. FTP. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's how I we're did going it. back into we're going I back. I know. Into <laughs> I know. Like I had FileZilla. Do you remember that? FileZilla. Oh. <laughs> right. And I I'm getting a little nostalgic on all this technology yeah. we're all using. I've so used it all. Like, so I was like a little girl uploading like things uh, via FTP on like into a different server and things. Anyways, so um so yeah. By the I way, like, I still I was using it too. I don't think I transversed to like uh get uh I, probably after you did. So don't worry about it. Yeah. 
Well, I felt really behind because I was like, oh, I don't even know what Git is. I don't even, I've never heard of GitHub before. But the email came through and I was like, well, I've never heard of a women's only class. And because of the boys in my computing class, I was like, wow, this is so refreshing. And I remember I read the email and I applied immediately for it. Um, they were actually looking for people who had never written a line of code, but I was like, I'm just going to give it a shot. And I ended up getting a place in the in the course. And it was like a six weeks uh, after university, like extracurricular course. I went there for six weeks and the first few sessions, I just had such a good time. And I remember on my third session I, when I actually stood up and I began helping other girls in the in the in the group because I already knew uh, like CSS and bits of JavaScript. Um, so I was helping out with the teaching as well. Um, I that's when I genuinely felt like, oh, I feel so alive. I've not felt so alive in so long. And so the organization that's organized it was uh, is called Code First Girls. And then that is an, another like big part of like my getting into tech story where I got into the community uh, the code first girls community and what they are is their social enterprise that aims to teach as many women in the UK and I, I think now across the world because we've gone remote um, how to code and it was like the best community I've ever been a part of and they really changed my life because they not only gave me the skills I was missing um, in tech and getting me spent uh, up to speed with that but also they gave me the confidence to say this is a potential role for you this is you've got space here if you want to like go if you want to take this seriously and get into tech and be a coder you can do it and so the next uh, four years of my uh, time at university I didn't drop out instead I continued my degree um, but alongside that I became a instructor um, I was an assistant instructor as part of the course, completely voluntary. Um, and then I eventually became a lead instructor and I was leading the um, uh, front end uh, course. It was introduction to web development. And it, I had a really great group of people who was helping me like shape the classes. And eventually after the four years, I ended up teaching around like 300, 200, yeah, 250, 300 um, female students at university from all different backgrounds, um, how to code. And I was so proud of that. We also launched another course called uh, Advanced to Python. I didn't teach that one, but I was an assistant to it because there were so many Python issues, which uh, Gitpod, where I work now, actually solves, but that's a whole separate rant. Um, <laughs> but I wish I knew that at the time but yeah so I was teaching there for like a couple of years and I slowly it it, it, it actually started off as a course so I was just helping out with the course but then I saw the opp an opportunity when I because I felt it myself as a community member I realized that there's like it, this could be a bigger thing and so in the small town I live in in Sheffield I ended up like um, going around the university with like leaflets I, I made like advertising it to people being like you can learn how to code but also you can find the group of people who are like really ambitious and want to get into tech and it became a community and there's like one significant event I remember there was a tech conference in Nottingham which is like two hours away from Sheffield or something where I live. And I remember I, I said to the course that I was teaching, the, the girls I was teaching, I said to them, okay, we are, there's the conference that I'm going to this weekend and I would love to invite everyone to come with me. And I think it's a really good to expand our network, learn about tech, learn about the industry because you can apply everything you're learning in these courses into real life and you could get a job there, whatever. And then 
I didn't think anyone would be interested. And then the next day on the weekend, we ended up having to book like half a carriage. No, sorry, not half. And the whole carriage, one whole carriage on in the train to get there um, because all of most of my students went with me we all went to this big conference together as a big group and we all enjoyed the day we like uh we all came in as a big group and I still have pictures of it it just makes me feel really happy but we all went in as a big group and um we uh we spent the whole day in the conference learning from like industry leaders about what it's like to work in tech and off the back of that we kept doing it for so the remaining time I had at university every time there was a tech event I would try and find I would try to talk to the organizers and ask for a discount or something for my for my community and then we would get discounts people would buy the tickets and then we would go around the UK <laughs> me and like these group of people that I like just started teaching every like for like six weeks in the semester we all just went around the UK and then eventually it became this big like community that was local in Sheffield that um, people met up for like social events, but also they went, if there's a tech conference, a hackathon, I also got involved in the hackathon scene. So because I got involved in the hackathon scene, I got those girls in my class to get involved in hackathons. And then suddenly like the uh, percentage of not having a lot of women participate in hackathons there you go suddenly we've got 50% of them because all of my all of my girls would go to the to the uh, to the hackathon so it was a really really special period of my life and it's like every time I talk about it I get like honestly kind of emotional because it was like the period where I definitely grew out of um, like my comfort zone I became a lot more confident in myself but also the best part was when I became confident in myself I then like passed it on to people that I that were also in a similar place to me before where they weren't sure where they were going they were a bit lost but then they found tech and then tech kind of was an option for them suddenly um and um another one of my big achievements as part wait, of that wait, wait can i that... jump in there can i, I yeah I, absolutely, I have... absolutely oh my god i have a... <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry i've just been talking I, did, I didn't want to interrupt you at all i mean this is so inspiring <laughs> first of all i a couple of quick things i have noticed a trend a lot of my guests come from like a biomedical or science engineer like degree and background into tech so there's a trend that's happening oh. and I, I think that's an interesting study to go for, but you were basically ahead of a community before there was a term head of community building this, you know, girls in tech community and going around to these conferences and really elevating the presence of it. And now you're the head of community at Gitpod and we're going to talk about that in a, a little bit, but I wanted you to get back to uh, your story and because I find it really inspiring how you were empowering, not only you found your calling, by helping out and just reaching out, you looked at this one email and you're like, yeah, I think I'll go. And then after two or three, you had the confidence to stand up and be like, I know this, let me help you. And then it's all of a sudden, it's like going into uh, any type of thing. Like, you know, I went into podcasting, not by choice. I didn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to go into it. I just started doing it. And all of a sudden I found a passion. You found a huge passion around this and growing that community. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why like later on when um, we can talk about this later on, but um, when when I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do after I did my first few tech jobs, uh, the only thing that was very consistent in every single tech job I had done up until joining Gitpod was no matter what, no matter if I was like an engineer, DevOps, software engineer, whatever I was doing, I 
always had community as my foundation so no matter what I was what I ended up going into like for example like um, just to give you a bit of context, let me speed up the story. But basically, I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> We've got plenty of time. <laughs> but, but I graduated and uh, I ended up moving from Sheffield to another city in the UK called Leeds for a for my first tech job. And again, as part of that move, it was really difficult for me to actually move because I had such a strong community here in Sheffield of the, the community I built, basically. And then uh, I wanted to bring that to Leeds and I actually ended up again teaching more women how to code in Leeds uh, but it was a bit different because it wasn't at the university uh, and I didn't really know I wasn't well connected in Leeds at the time and so I instead I went to big uh, companies that were wanting to host the courses into their in, in their offices and so I ended up going to to those um, to those offices and then teaching and I continued it for for a couple of years um, and yeah and so when I was in my first tech job it was actually a, a graduate scheme and I don't know it's well known in the UK what a graduate scheme is but in I guess in the states it's similar to like a training program like a graduate training program where you get a graduate fresh out of university to um to do two years like training like on the job training and then they may get a job at the end of the two years internship yeah, it's like an internship, but it's a two year long internship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's actually so in the medical degree, it's usually they have to do an internship or the graduate program where they have to do uh, mm. actual uh, like two to four years worth of training before they can get a job and possibly get a job in there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was like a similar thing. But yep. um, as part as part of this graduate scheme I was in, it was like a tech uh, graduate scheme. And it was really awesome because I had the opportunity to in the two years to go around different teams. So I spent six months at time in different teams um so throughout the two years I did I went into architecture digital architecture for the first six months so that was like looking at all the different components and if we added a new thing onto the website onto the app what would be the complications what changes to the API would we have to look at blah 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 so it was that and then the second uh grad scheme I uh, sorry the second rotation I did was as a software engineer and this is actually where I uh, I would say like shunned the most because it was things I was good at and at the time I was I was learning react and uh, the website was like we were doing a project on migrating it to react so I got to play with a bit of like doing react in in real life um in like a real project um and then the third one was when I realized there was like loads of different options I could have gone into I could have stayed as a software engineer and gone to a different team but instead I was like I need to challenge myself in in tech so up until this point I had always been more of a front-end um developer and I sort of understood how that worked uh and then some bits of the back end but one thing that was a huge mystery to me was like platform and infrastructure and cloud. I kept hearing the cloud. I kept hearing AWS. And I was like, I don't know what anyone is talking about. I need to learn this. And so I actually negotiated with uh, the platform team because they weren't accepting any graduates. They said, this rotation, this team is too difficult. If we have a graduate here, we are setting them up for failure. And I was like, it's me. <laughs> let me, let me try. Give, give me a shot and let's just see if we can do something here. And I ended up joining the that uh, infrastructure team. And oh my God, the first two weeks, I genuinely cried every day. <laughs> I was like, I have 
no idea what I put myself into. And I honestly was considering talking to my manager at the time and being like, is it too late for me to start on another team? Because this is too hard. Um, and she was just, uh, and I actually didn't like bring it up and I just kept going. Uh, and then eventually um, I, the more I kept showing up and learning, the more I learned about like Ubuntu, um, the ins and outs of like Linux. And I was like, wow, this is, this makes me feel like a real hacker. This is fantastic. I love it. Um, and then eventually as well, I started getting um, into like um, AWS, cloud native, and also um, like infrastructure as code. And when I started uh, uh, developing like infrastructure as code for, um, so we were like a central platform team, almost like a developer experience team that helped provide tooling to other uh engineering teams and I built my first like um like pipeline almost to help a to help our um one of our most common um like things that uh one of our engineering teams always wanted and they always like gave it to us and we would have to deploy it um so I tried to automate the whole process and it was my first go playing around with infrastructure as code connected to AWS and provisioning the infrastructure on AWS and I remember I just got such a high when <laughs> when I when I create successfully created this pipeline that anyone in the company could self-serve and create uh, and deploy their like uh, draft like uh, application into this like um, preview environment and it just it just like worked and I was like oh my god I did that and you know and they also had the opportunity to like I started uh, building on the project and you could also delete it by they could delete it themselves and there was like a pretty little dashboard and I just felt like I, I was like, I understand what I'm doing here and it's it's amazing, but there's so much uh, left to learn. So the six months in that team was actually the, the one I grew the most technically. I also ended up doing two AWS certifications. So I did the certified cloud practitioner um, one in that team and also the uh, uh, solutions architect associate exam, um, exam and uh, really enjoyed my time there. And then when it got to the final six months of my scheme um, at the time uh, leadership was talking about building a new team called site reliability engineering because they they saw a need for it and um, then one of the managers had been impressed with how fast I learned um, the things in the um, in the platform team and they asked me do you want to be one of the founding members of this team and I was like heck yes like, there was no there was basically no scope I just knew the name SRE I had read about SRE principles from Google and I was like yes that doesn't sound stressful at all little did I know SRE is one of the most stressful in my opinion one of the most stressful jobs out there but that's a rant for another time um <laughs> So then I ended up being an SRE for this uh, for this team. I was one of the founding members and I just absolutely just, I really enjoyed it. And we ended up, one of the biggest achievements I had in that in that uh, team was actually, again, from a community standpoint, uh, we were doing some great work with uh, shaping uh, the engineering culture um, in, in that team. And I, I was like, what we're doing here, what we've built in terms of frameworks, this doesn't exist elsewhere. And I think we need to tell people about it. We need to talk to the SRE community. We need to talk to te the tech community out there and share what we're learning. And again, I think that was the natural DevRel 
aspect in me just wanting to do that and I ended up just putting up that proposal <laughs> I asked my team I was like can I do this and they were like okay sure but they wouldn't they weren't really thinking too much about it but I ended up putting a proposal for SRECon 20 um in 2020 and we got accepted and it was like the first worldwide conference that I spoke at but it was still remote so because of COVID but still it was like such a big achievement and like it's on YouTube and it's it's still a really awesome talk and I'm very proud of like getting the team up there to talk about what we've achieved. Um, but yeah, it's also that sort of like go goes back to what I was saying earlier that in every single rotation that I've had in every single job that I've had, like there was always a part of me that was like, how can we share this with the community? How can other people benefit from it? How can we like create something, pave the way forward and help other people get in with us so that we can continue moving forward together? And that was like a common thing that really um, kept coming up and up and up. And so after I finished the graduate scheme, I got offered a job in the SRE team. They wanted to keep me like to continue their efforts. And I stayed there for a bit, but then I was also looking for a new challenge. It was like, you know, end of 2020, it was 2021. And I was like, I sort of want something different. Um, and then I ended up joining a different company, but this time as a DevOps engineer and as a DevOps engineer in that team, it was very much like what I did in the old platform team where I was like in a developer experience um, space where I was building tooling for other um, uh, for other development um, teams. Uh, really enjoyed my time there, but there was a moment where I remember I, I was like working on a ticket and I was like, I love doing this, this is fun, but there's more to me and there's more to what I want from my career than moving a ticket on a JIRA board from left to write and it's like what do you mean you don't wake up and go yep that's really good i feel accomplished today <laughs> no no yeah no, it's like, i it's slowly like after a while after i was doing it i really liked the team i really liked the technologies it was actually the the job i learned about kubernetes and at the time i hadn't actually looked at kubernetes ever and so that uh, job really introduced me to it and I really learned I learned so much I'm really thankful for my time there but it was that time I remember just looking at this Jira board and I was like I cannot do this <laughs> there's something else for me out here and then it sort of get again takes me back all the way full circle to Code First Girls I continued Code First Girls activities I eventually became um as in, in addition to an instructor, I became one of their ambassadors. Uh, and then also I, whenever there was an opportunity that they needed someone to talk about how, the impact of the community, I would be like, yep, that's me. If you can talk, to, you can talk to me and I will tell you the story and how much they changed my life. Um, but yeah, it also goes full circle because when I was doing some self-reflection last year, I was like, what do I, what brings me joy and what makes me get up in the morning? And it always got back to the point that that period of my life where I was helping other people succeed and then introducing them to other people, then seeing them go off and get tech jobs and become like software engineers, then senior software engineers, I was following their career and I was like, this makes me happy I don't what whatever this enablement thing that I'm doing that I like that and I remember I, I talked to a few people in the tech space and every time I described the job they were like DevRel DevRel is that's DevRel and I was yep. like oh okay and so because I you know this is who I am I went on my Twitter and I tweeted uh one day I'm manifesting for the future I'd love to be in DevRel and that tweet blew up <laughs> and then people like actually responded in the thread and they were like Pauline I thought you were a DevRel 
And it turns <laughs> out that a lot of my activities over the years were very aligned to DevRel activities and community building activities. And I hadn't But it realized... just wasn't the actual title then. The DevRel no. didn't come up into the last couple of years, but you were doing it before there was actual term for it. Exactly. And I sort of just fell into it. And then Gitpod got in touch and uh, Gitpod out of all the other people I spoke to, their product really spoke to me. And uh, the reason Gitpod's products... Um, spoke to me was just just as a like side note so if you don't know what gitpod is it's essentially a way to automate your dev environments uh, and um, you can then develop in the cloud remotely um, and so that opens up a lot of opportunities for people and the, the reason i was so excited about gitpod as a product was from the perspective of as a former instructor as someone who had seen students from all different backgrounds who didn't have the best laptop or who didn't have the best internet connection or whatever it was and how stressed they were they kept saying like oh I can't be a coder because I need the most powerful machine I can't afford the most powerful machine and things like that and when I looked at Gitpod played around with it I had this light bulb moment where I was like oh my god this opens up so many opportunities for everybody no matter their background all they need to do is they just need even a Chromebook, a Chromebook. You can start coding immediately from a Chromebook uh, because you don't need like all of these dependencies on your local machine. It's just all in the cloud. So you can start coding immediately. So that is actually one of the main things that I loved about the product. And it's something that it, it went back to that piece of enabling other people. And I was like, this is amazing. I absolutely love it. So that's why I ended up joining them. And I joined as a senior community engineer and as part of my role in that um in, in that team was I was the first community hire and even though I did loads of different things as devrels do just everything they just float and do everything um but my main focus was community and yeah and then now we're here now like it's been a year since I got my job at Gitpod I was promoted to head of community like a few weeks ago and the community we built when I started was around 500 people and it was scattered all over the place we didn't have like a structure and now we've got uh, over 5k people so we 10x our community um, in just a year and now we've got like so many different initiatives going on in the community and I genuinely feel that same like connection that I did in real life uh, with the Code First Girls community. And I managed to bring it here at Gitpod and now it's like a very special little project for me. And I don't know, I, I absolutely just love it. Um, but yeah, again, it goes full circle. This is how I got into tech. That was a very long answer. I'm so sorry, John. I hope you enjoyed that story. <laughs> First of all, I, <laughs> I learned so much about into... you. I have probably so many questions we're not going to be able to get to in this session, which makes puts you on the hook for another session, which we'll have I'm to here. go into. Okay. So talking about you in the, from the beginning and working with, as an instructor, so you joined the class, right? And it was a uh, code. What was it? Code first code girls. First girls. Yeah. And how you felt being part of the community and growing that as a community. And now you're head of community. So their calling was early on. You just had to learn all the stuff going through it. And you were like, I'm going to learn this. I like the story where you joined the, what was it? The engineering group, the uh, infrastructure group. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And then two weeks, I'm like, oh my God. And then you're like, man, I love this. And that feeling when something works, right? No matter, you could have spent three weeks on this and you had an error message and you couldn't get through it. And then all of a sudden it works. It was all well worth it. 
right? Yeah, you felt absolutely. so energy. It, it's it's like a technical high, I'll, I'll say, because you're like, oh, wow, everybody's using it. And this is pretty cool. Now, as a head of the community, your energy level is still the same, but it's all passion. You will, you don't wake up feeling that you actually have to go to work. You just reach out and you're growing them and growing the awareness. And I think your personality is perfect for the role, by the way. Uh, Thank you. Very, very high energy. I, I think it will attract a lot of community folks. And it, the, the cool part is being a community member, right? So ahead of the community is you're not selling anything. You don't say go use it. You're actually finding the best solution for them. If it's not GetPod, you will say, hey, why don't you try this and you know play around with that? Yeah, that's exactly the point of it. And that's why I really like uh, my job because it's, it's more like, people join the community because they're like, oh, this seems like a cool product. This seems like a cool uh, like community. This is something I could probably use in my day to day. Um, but uh, my job in as part of, uh, as head of community is to make sure that every single member that joins us feels like they can be as successful as they can be using Gitpod. So whatever proje project that they've brought in, whatever it is, whatever language, whatever complicated setup they have, I want to make sure that by the end of it, they're like, oh yeah, Gitpod works for my use case. It makes sense for me to use that. But on the flip side of that, like our Gitpod community isn't just about like helping you get started with Gitpod or, or you know, it. even though that's a huge part of it, like we have like a questions channel where community members help each other. But another side of the community is to bring people together who understand the future of remote dev environments and I think that is that is another really special little thing because you can see the early adopters I would say like remote dev environments is still it I wouldn't say it's like a niche but it's still a conversation that people keep having they're still like wondering is this right should we do this um it, does it make sense for us to move our, our whole uh, engineering team into uh, developing in the cloud and so there's all of these like uh, conversations that are still happening but the people who are in our community are early adopters and they see the vision that we see and that is the most exciting part because they help us then build the best product that we can build for other for everyone else in the future it's like again it goes back to what i said earlier we're sort of um creating the path for remote dev environments in this case and then bringing everyone else with us to join the party and then together we will be part of this big ecosystem where you know there'll be there'll be more people who will be building products like gitpod but it's so exciting because we've created this whole like space for them we're like here this is a thing this is a concept look at our community uh everyone in our community understands why we're doing this and i think that's the most exciting part of the GitPod community because we are bringing those like-minded people and also personally uh, we've also um, launched several initiatives like uh, the community heroes program which is our like core super fans who absolutely love GitPod who understands the future of remote dev environments and they're the ones that consistently show up we've got around 30 community heroes across the world now and um, it's it's so it's such a joy to work with them because we always have fun collaboration ideas and also, we give them the platform to succeed. So they love going out to their local meetups or in their online communities to talk about Gitpod and that enablement thing I keep talking about, like building those relationships and 
helping like planting the seeds and watching them grow over time I've seen it so much already within the Gitpod community where there'd be someone I invited to the heroes program they really love Gitpod they um you know they have so many ideas but then because they became a hero they became a bit more confident to like talk about it more openly we give them the resources we give them swag and all of these like uh things to like a platform for them to grow and I think it's just it's just so fantastic because it's again it's a similar thing that I did at Coke First Girls but I see it here in this context and it's just it's so magical because it's almost like it's almost like a formula but it's not like I don't think that you can just follow all these steps and you'll be successful I just think it's the right like human connection that you have with people does that make sense oh 100 really no yeah. no it, it makes 100 sense because here's here's how I look at it uh and I equate it to not only a developer advocate role of building community is the community is following the person, not the product, right? They like the product, but they like the person who is presenting it. And that's where the connection, that human connection, Pauline, I know we, we I know we're going to be running out of time shortly. I have two more things that one, we didn't even get the digital nomad. I got to jump oh over to gosh. that because I have a bunch of questions as a content creator and what the heck does digital nomad mean? Don't worry, folks. We're going to get back to her as the head of community for Gitpod. I, I think Pauline and I have signed up for at least a monthly podcast. We might have to do a live stream <laughs> together. Yes, we'll have to. Yes, you've asked for it. You might have regretted it, but you're going to get it. All right. <laughs> digital nomad. What is a digital nomad? Because, uh, you know, I travel and make some content, but I don't think I'm anywhere near sophisticated as you. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um. So essentially what a digital nomad is, it's someone who can work from anywhere in the world um, with just their laptop and all they need is their laptop and their, an internet connection. And because Gitpod is a fully remote company, we're fully distributed around the world. We don't have an office. Uh, I can work from anywhere. And uh, it was actually my first go this year being a true di digital nomad where I spent a few months uh, outside of where like I'm based in, like I said, in the UK. And I just worked from a different country uh, for a couple of months. And it was really scary, but also amazing because I got to chase the sun a little bit around the world. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm a very summery person and I love I love the sun and in the UK we're famous for not having as much sunshine compared to the rest of the world so I just I think I'm generally a nicer person because, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm nicer when I get some sun if yeah, it's cloudy honestly, it's going to be a rough day <laughs> genuinely I'm not even kidding um, but yeah that's what a digital nomad is just someone who like uh, goes around the world and uh, works from anywhere and they are more like location independent uh, usually they just uh, like live off uh, from their like backpack or suitcase and that's what I did for a couple of months this year and it was absolutely fantastic um in terms of like I could geek out right now about my setup because actually in our yes. initial call John let's I do remember it. Yeah. <laughs> We went down that rabbit hole of different equipment and different setups, and we could go into that. Um, but, I, I got to yeah, give so you a shout out for our call before that we had a setup is because you allowed me to geek out because this whole episode is about you. So uh, there's all I mean, we could do this back and forth all day long about things, but I'm really curious about your setup and how you fit everything into your backpack. Yes. Yeah, so um, I have a 40 liter backpack. 
that I use to travel everywhere. Um, it's actually a little bit broken and I'm traveling next week. So I need to like patch it up very quickly. Um, and yeah, so in terms of like um, everything I need, uh, yeah, everything I need is in that 40 liter backpack, including all my equipment. And as you can see, as if you're watching this on YouTube, I've got like a 4K camera, I've got like lighting, I've got my microphone, I've got a standing desk, I've got like, I've pretty much got the whole Wait a second, do you pack your standing desk into this no. backpack? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but this is what I have at home. Um, so obviously I can't bring all of that, although I would love to. I'm still actually debating if I should bring my camera, my 4K camera on the road because I bought a little travel tripod, which I can then put in my backpack. Um, but but yeah, so when I'm on the road, so the first few um, times I was like traveling around and working, I genuinely just had my MacBook Air because I don't need like a pro or anything because Gitpod, I code in the cloud, so I don't really need it. Um, and so I have my MacBook and then I have a roost stand. So one of the stands to keep my laptop uh, like eye level when I'm working, I have an external keyboard, a trackpad, and this microphone that you see here, I actually pack this as well, but I can't bring the arm, obviously. I just have the little tripod that comes with it. Um, and then all my charges and things, but all of that actually fits perfectly in my, in my backpack. And then on top of that, I, I'm quite of a like minimalist. I don't get bored too easily with the clothes that I wear. And I tend to travel to like hotter places. So I tend to just pack quite light. Uh, the only time I would wear like heavier and things for more of the winter is actually when I get to the airport from the UK because it's cold. <laughs> and then apart from the clothes that I wear, like my travel uh, clothes, I end up just packing very light summery clothes anyway, uh, anywhere I go. And so as you can imagine, it's genuinely like, I think 60% 60, 60 of my um of my uh, backpack is probably all of the tech stuff. It like fits in quite nice. It's 60% of it. And then the rest is like clothes and just other things that I would need. But I don't tend to bring a lot of things because at the end of the day, I do like long stays as well. So I tend to book out a place for a long period of time. So I have like kind of a base wherever I go. Um, and so I, I can always shop for new things. Like if I need, if I desperately need something, then I could always go to the shop and buy something. But it all works. It all works out. Uh, and 40 liters is all you need. Um, and it's actually quite liberating because I don't have to like check in my bag or anything. I, I use it as a carry-on on most flights and it's fine. And also I can just walk around with all of my stuff and everything I ever need. And it, I don't know, it's like a sense of freedom I've never really had before. And it's it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's actually weird because when I got back from my recent uh, trip, I got back here at home and I was like, oh my God, I have so much stuff. <laughs> I hate it here, you know, but at the same time, it's been nice to be comfortable with all of the things. Um, but yeah, it all fits and it's possible. It's possible. I, I have had to get better at learning how to pack well because it becomes like a gate, like a little puzzle. It's like, you're it's like Tetris in your backpack. Tetris. Yes, it's, it gets a bit frustrating because you really need to be intentional. You can't just throw things in. You have to be like, okay, this fits here and this fits here. This will protect my laptop a little bit more. So, yeah. <laughs> I think we need a recording to do an episode on you packing this and to see oh how it's going to be like. I should, do I should make a TikTok. Uh, speaking of that, I, I think by the, since the first time we talked, I actually made my first one. I so, remember you saying, yes, yes, I need to watch it. 
Uh, I'll put it in John Meyer podcast. You can go and search it. I actually did it of my studio and set up it. But anyway, this is not about me. This is about you. We talked about digital nomad. I know we only talked a little bit about it, but my last thing that I want to touch on is I heard you're a competitive gamer. And this is going <laughs> to open up a topic. I know. I know. This this will be another half an hour, John. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got some time. Okay. <laughs> um. So, yeah, what do you want to know? What specific? Okay. I want to know, one, how did you get into gaming? Well, obviously, when you opened this up, you talked about doing the gaming. But what type of gamer were you? And why are you so competitive at it? I think, okay, firstly, I'll start with the uh, latter question. And the reason I am so competitive is because it's in my nature to be competitive. I was born competitive. <laughs> I don't uh, know why. As most folks could tell from this conversation, yes. <laughs> I'm a very competitive person. And I don't know, sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes it's also a bad thing. I actually have learned over the years to balance it a little bit because I, I have been a bit too competitive and it's actually had negative side effects so i'm trying to be a little bit better with that um, wait are you so telling yeah, me that you would throw equipment no i'm just kidding <laughs> just, just, <laughs> you don't have to disclose that on this <laughs> that's a whole thing um yeah. no and then the other thing was what was your other question sorry like well actually i want to ask you what was the game i mean is it multiple games every games or is there a specific game okay so oh my gosh i can't believe i'm about to say this Yes. Um, so it's actually multiple games. Um, one of the games, um, oh, I forgot what. Mm, it, it was like an MMO, and it was a it was actually a mobile MMO, and I really really enjoyed it because it had just launched by um, a company called the game company was Space Time Space Time Studios. I can't believe I still remember that. So the game developer Space Time Studios had just launched a mobile game that was a uh, multi. Uh, what was it MMO? No, M multi online. What what's the N and MMM? MMO MMO. Say that um, three times fast. Yeah, I know. I, I was losing it then. Um, no. So it was like an online online game on your mobile, and it was like one of the first to be ever done. And I think I downloaded it and just absolutely just I, I loved it. And I, as one of the first users of that that platform the game that I was playing um I quickly found that the more I used it the more uh, my name uh would show up on leaderboards and I think that is actually where the competitiveness came from that's where it hit where I was like oh my god I am across the world I am number five across the world and I became super competitive to try and maintain the the fifth spot globally for like I don't know like pve kills or something like that um so uh yeah and then there was also uh and then not just maintaining but going up the leaderboard and i think i still have screenshots of this game where i'm like i get to like number three competitive much yeah <laughs> I, I would get to number three and i'd be like oh my god they're like i'm catching up but that was just one game but then i took that same attitude elsewhere and i ended up playing like um so people know the uh company bungie and they make like games like Halo, Destiny, and things like that. And I got I got very competitive on Destiny. So the first ever Destiny game that I launched, I remember I actually queued up for it at midnight at my local game store because I was so excited that they it was releasing and it was very similar to Halo. And I had been a big fan of Halo over the years, but this one. 
super excited very different world it was a whole thing and it looked beautiful I really wanted to buy it and then I was one of the first people to like go into the store at midnight and you know it was a whole big event I don't know if you've ever been to, if you've ever been sad enough to wait <laughs> because it's a whole it's like a whole hey event. i like know i know the excitement you know? i know the excitement you know of waiting mean? in line and getting in uh yeah. i've done a lot of sporting events of excitement yeah. or tickets that you want to get queued up yeah. uh gaming type uh events that you were going for so i know the whole thing around it and being so super excited to be like i'm one of the first ones who got yeah. it exactly and then like as on my way out after i paid for it i would like there were like pictures and people were like celebrating because it was just such a big deal i was one of the first people to get it it was awesome um so yeah i did that and then when i played uh, destiny again as one of the one of the like first ever players ever i got competitive competitive on there but the, in that one that's actually when i became even more competitive and i used to be i used to be that person that had like an xbox uh, i was playing on xbox had like the headset i was on xbox live yelling at people because i was like why didn't you go left why didn't you go <laughs> i told you to throw the uh... grenade but why didn't you do that <laughs> and it was like pv um pvp so yep. player versus player that was the one i really that was when my competitiveness like peaked that was when i was like i need to be like high up on the leaderboards and i was i was like one of those people that formed teams with specific people that i'd met who were good players and i always stuck with them and yeah, and then there's like I've I've taken like screenshots and like pictures of um when I was the first like number one in a game because like I was like the one that scored the most points and things. I don't know. I just loved it. <laughs> but that's where my competitiveness comes from. I, I have to admit, I did start playing uh Destiny 2, which is the sequel, in last year. And I remember I was playing it again and I just got so frustrated because I wasn't as good as I was before because I used to spend a lot of hours on it, obviously. And now I have a life and <laughs> and also work <laughs> and other things that I do. Um, but yeah, I wasn't as good. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm a lot older now. <laughs> <laughs> it's catching up to you where I can't spend, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning to go play this game and get better because... I have to get up for work. Yeah. Well, maybe and I could be sick tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, but it was also like, I genuinely can't focus for that long because I usually do, do like the Pomodoro technique where I like spend 20 minutes on a task and things and then I have a quick break and I need that for the games. But like, you know, I can't keep up with these kids who play for hours on end. I just, I can't do it. But still, it was a good special part of my life. And I think it really shaped me, my character, I would say. <laughs> Okay, you sound like somebody who would be playing Fortnite. Have you played it? I tried Fortnite, but again, it's more like for Gen Zs. Oh my god, I sound, I sound like such... <laughs> I'll go down this whole route about how much like I'm not like a Gen Z. Although some people consider me as a Gen Z, I don't think I am. I'm like born 1996. I'm not Gen Z. That's not, that's not Gen Z. Is it? I don't know. No. I'd have to look at the, the Gen Z. I won't get into the age graph. stuff. No. <laughs> oh my god, well, that's well, the whole thing. <laughs> I will. I will. Again, my kids played it. Uh, my son likes watching a lot of the stuff on YouTube. I attempted to play with them, and I just, uh, yeah, I don't want to say my age. Okay. Yeah. No, but they're just too fast now. They like. I don't. They like hold the controls differently, or they just get really good. I don't know. Yep. Also, I think. Fortnite, it's like more of a PC game, isn't it? 
Like I, yeah, you not... can play. No, he plays on um. Oh, what's it? His Xbox. He'll play on the Xbox. Oh, okay. Because I'm a, a console gamer. I don't really do like. Yeah, PC I never. Do. I I've I've never really been into like the PC games. I actually I haven't done cos- console games for a while. Yeah, I won't even date myself on that one. Last time I did, I ain't got time. You know, family, <laughs> I got content creating. Yeah, exactly. Like, who's, got, who's got a little time to play some games? Though they are nice to just like mentally, you know, switch release off. And get, yeah, yeah. It, it it is it is nice. But no, this has been pretty cool. Pauline, I'm going to wrap things up because I think we need to have a further conversation on so many topics and so many things that you're doing to head to the community. Before we do, Pauline, where are you going to be next? When's your next event that people can actually follow? Oh, amazing. I really like that uh, question. So uh, I hope that this episode is like uh, shipped before the actual in-person event, but I'll be at KubeCon in Detroit uh, in October. So I think it's October 24th for the whole week. So I'll be there um, with Gitpod. I'll be at the booth. Um, and so if you want to learn about how to use Gitpod, if you want to see a demo from me, or you just want to meet me and the rest of the Gitpod team, I will be there. And I would love to meet as many people as I can. I actually got back from the Valencia KubeCon earlier this year and I just felt so energized meeting so many people so yeah please don't uh, be afraid to say hello and also just generally like uh, I'm also just I live on Twitter so <laughs> if you want to follow me on there um, I'll uh, send you my handle as well if you if you want to uh, connect on there as well. Um, Pauline, I'll yeah. put that in the, the link in the description below, not only on your handle, but also your website for your blog post, because you did provide that. And I think that gives you a little bit of insight on who Pauline is. This will be out in September. So don't worry. I'll let everybody know where you're going to be. I'm hoping or maybe the possibility that I'll be at KubeCon. Not sure. It all depends on where my roles take me or sponsorship. By the way, if anybody wants to sponsor me to go to KubeCon, let me know. Be happy to oblige. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I should do that more often. <laughs> you got to get that plug in uh, at least. Uh, I love it, it because they get. Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know I've been doing this a little bit. All right, Polly, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everybody, Parlene Narvis, head of community at GitPod. I'm your host, John Meyer. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and notify. Because guess what, folks? As always, we're out of here.